Amen. Good morning. Dads, happy Father's Day. Well, yes. Well done. Um, there, there's no question that um, when we get to Mother's Day, uh, the typical church response to Mother's Day is to be sweet and kind and wonderful and loving and cherishing. And when we get to Father's Day, the tendency in most churches is to tell fathers why they're such miserable human beings and how they need to step up and do better. I want to switch that a little today. Dads, well done. And, and you don't, you're not doing it perfectly. We are not doing it perfectly. There's no manual, which is why some of us really mess it up sometimes. Keep at it. God knows. He knows your struggles. He knows your disappointments. He knows your mourning, your sadness, the prayers that you pray when you look at your family and see where you could have done something different. But God honors the humble heart. So men, dads, well done. Keep clinging to him for strength, for help, for encouragement. And maybe, just maybe, those beautiful children of yours will reward your faithfulness with a nice big steak. <laughs> or even better, you'll see your children respond to you much like that one young man did in the story that Jesus told When he comes into his dad's presence and says, listen, I have sinned against heaven. I have sinned against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your servants. And yet dad loved him so much he didn't get that last part out. And he fell upon his son with hugs and kisses and said, this boy is back. The longing of my heart is occurring before my eyes. Dads, if you have a child like that, my prayer for you is you will be able to celebrate and rejoice as that father did. Let me, let me pray for our dads. Would you join me? Father, um, we come to you thankful. We're thankful for our dads. Obviously, not all of our dads got it all right. And, and in sincerity, while many did their best Many, um, many, many failed. We've all failed. Some of our dads even misrepresented who you are to us. So, Father, I pray that you would continue to give us the grace and strength we need to offer that forgiveness that they need. Thank you for grace to acknowledge our failings as dads. Thank you for promising to strengthen our trust in you as we parent. God, as a dad speaking for other dads, I pray that we would have the, the faith to trust you to write the stories of redemption in our own families. God, would you please do that? 
Would you give encouragement where encouragement is needed today in the hearts and the lives of many of these dads? I pray that as children, that we would honor them well today, that we would honor them well and thank you for them. Now, as we look into your word, I pray that your spirit would continue to work in our hearts, convict us of sin. I pray that we would be reminded of how amazing the God that we serve is. For it's in Jesus' matchless name I pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, here we go. Take your Bibles. Go to Genesis chapter 17. My, um, well, you know this about me already. My predisposition to virtually every situation in life is to laugh. Some of you that know me well know that is way too true, and I laugh at very inopportune times. There have been a number of occasions where a chuckle has come out that I did not expect that actually put me in very awkward situations, to which I quickly said, sorry. The people that laugh at first, and that's their initial reaction to everything, um, I think sometimes we get misrepresented as not being serious people. We're very serious. We just don't take you seriously, that's all. (laughs) Oftentimes our laughter is a picture of what's going on in our soul, in our heart, where we're having a moment of disbelief, and so we laugh, and it's not a laugh at you, it's not a laugh because we don't believe you, it's a laugh because, (laughs) seriously? If you don't laugh, you're going to cry. So you laugh. Today, in the story of Abraham and Sarah... We get to see them both laugh. And so we're going to work through chapter 17 and half of chapter 18 today. So so buckle up. It's going to be a little quick, and I'll try not to talk too fast, but we'll see what happens. Chapter 17, let me start reading in verse 1. It says this, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him, saying, I am God Almighty. Live in my presence and be blameless. I will set up my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell face down, and God spoke with him. As for me, here is my covenant with you. You will become the father of many nations. Your name will no longer be Abram, but your name will be Abraham. For I will make you the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful, and will make nations and kings come from you. I will confirm my covenant that is between me and you and your future offspring throughout their generations." It's a permanent covenant to be your God and the God of your offspring after you. And to you and your future offspring, I will give the land where you are residing, all the land of Canaan, as a permanent possession, and I will be their God. Let me stop there. So at this point, um, God appears to Abram. Abram is 99 years old. This is happening 13 years after the birth of Ishmael. To to Sarah's servant Hagar, and so now now Ishmael is 13 years old. And there's this, this long period of time that happens in chap, from chapter 16, verse 16, to chapter 17, verse 1. A period of time of 13 years where Abram has seemingly heard nothing from God. Okay, this, is, this, this is happening about 25 years after God has called him and Sarai out of Ur. And so, so God originally appears to Abram 25 years ago, and now, now this, is, this is God reappearing and and re-upping his promise to, to Abram. 
Abram falls on his face in humility, and God begins to walk through that promise. This is now the fourth time, the fourth time that Abram receives a promise from God. And that seems like a lot, but you and I have to remember a couple things, particularly this. Four times in six pages seems like much. Four times in 25 years isn't very much at all. And Abram's been waiting, waiting, waiting. And we, much like Abram, hate waiting, right? I was, I was tempted, but I hate it too, so I can't do that. I, I was tempted to just stand here and look at you for 10 seconds. <laughs> That's really awkward, though. We hate waiting. I will bypass drive-thrus that have more than three cars in them. A microwave. A microwave is too slow. Right? Internet. If you have to wait more than one banana, two banana for your website to load, you got problems, right? We hate waiting. And here is Abram waiting for 25 plus years, waiting and waiting and waiting for this promise that God had unveiled to him to come to fruition, and it just hasn't happened yet. And now, now God reappears to him, shares the promise again for the fourth time, and this time the promise comes with a name change. So now your name is no longer Abram, it is now Abraham, which means father of a multitude. And that is a powerful picture. It's a picture of the the certainty of the promise that God is delivering. But can you imagine, just for a minute, after this, he sees his old buddies and says, hey, my name's not Abram anymore, it's Abraham. And their response is, what? You have one kid. What do you mean? It's kind of like what dads do with their kids, right? For the kid who isn't very quick, we call them speedy. But for the kid, the the teenager in perpetual moping mode, they're happy. And then there's always that one kid you got, hey, good looking. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Wow, you guys tied that one together pretty quick. I'm impressed. It's kind of the same idea. Here, Abraham is like, I'm Abraham. And it becomes almost like a, a joke, but actually in God's eyes, this is legit. And God walks through his promise. And if you notice, let me point it out to you, starting in verse 5, how many times God says to him, I will, I will. Verse 5, I will make you the father of many nations. Verse 6, I will make you extremely fruitful. I will make nations and kings come from you. Verse 7, I will confirm my covenant. Verse 8, and to you and your future offspring, I will give the land. And in the end of verse 8, I will be their God. When God says, I will, it's a future, but it's a future of certainty. 25 years waiting for this promise to come to realization. What is God doing in giving Abraham this promise again? God wants to strengthen Abraham's faith. And so he reminded him again and again. In in this relationship, there's a beautiful image in verse 3. Abraham falls face down and it says God speaks with him. That's a very intentional word, with him. 
It's not to him, it's not at him, it is with him. There is a relational aspect to, to this promise being given again to Abraham. And so, so God is trying to remind him in relationship of his certain promise. He's trying to re- remind Abraham of his trustworthiness. And you see that, and I don't want to skip over it, but I don't want to spend a ton of time on it. In verse 1, when God appears to Abraham and begins this, this, this re-giving of the promise, he introduces himself to Abraham by saying, I am God Almighty. That's not nothing. You, you may have a footnote there that tells you what that is. That, that is the name for God, El Shaddai. This is the all-sufficient one. The, the name El Shaddai probably comes from the word the thunderer, the overpowerer. The the idea is this, God has the ability and the power to achieve all of his purposes and all of his promises in your life. Abraham, I am the one who is going to bring you what you need. I am the one who has the strength and ability to give you what I have promised you. No one else can stand between us. I will give you the answer to this promise. I am the thunderer. I am the overpower. I am the one who is going to provide for you. Spurgeon uses this awesome picture of this, this moment where God appears to Abraham and, says, and basically he says, oh, so, so, so God says to Abraham, fear not. Think about it this way, Abraham. If, if there was an ant at the door of your pantry asking for help, well, it wouldn't ruin you to give him a grain of your wheat, Right? Abraham, you are nothing but a tiny insect at the door of God's all-sufficiency. Fear not. He's going to take care of you. So God renews the promise. He reminds Abraham of the promise. And then um, I'm going to skip through verses 9 through 14 and not read them, not because it's uncomfortable, um, but because I really want to focus on a different aspect, but I'll explain what's happening. God says, let me give you the, the, your uh, side of the covenant, your side of the covenant. God adopts the sociological practice for this theological function and says, Abraham, make clear your commitment to me and, and circumcise your entire household. Identify yourself with me. Identify yourself with my people. Demonstrate your trust that I am all that I said I am and go home and circumcise every male in your household. Okay, we'll talk a little bit more about that as we get to the end of the chapter. But in the meantime, let me remind you, if you have questions about circumcision, Pastor Mark is on sabbatical, but he would love to get a text from you asking that question. (laughs) So you knock yourself out. You text him, it'd be perfect. All right, chapter 17, verse 15. (laughs) God said to Abraham... As for your wife, Sarai, don't call her Sarai, for Sarah will be her name. I will bless her. Indeed, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she will produce nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down, and he laughed and said to himself, Can a child be born to a 100-year-old man? Can Sarah, a 90-year-old woman, give birth? So Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael were acceptable to you. God said, no. Your wife Sarah will bear you a son. You will name him Isaac. 
I will confirm my covenant with him as a permanent covenant for his future offspring. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will certainly bless him. I will make him fruitful and will multiply him greatly. He will father 12 tribal leaders and I will make him into a great nation. But I will confirm my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you at this time next year. When he finished talking with him, God withdrew from Abraham. So God continues his promise to Abraham by then changing the name of Sarai to Sarah which means princess, royalty. And then God further clarifies the promise that he had made to Abram some 25 years earlier, and he continues to fill in some of the blanks in an attempt to kind of shore up Abraham's faith. If you remember, chapter 12, God calls him and says, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. In chapter 15, he, he, he clarifies his call a little bit and says, listen, you, you, your heir is going to be your biological son. And then here, he he clarifies again and says, not only is your heir going to be your biological son, he's going to be Sarah's biological son. She's going to be the mother of nations. She's not going to be left out of this process. God says, I'm going to show Sarah my favor. She's going to be the the instrument that the covenant promises are going to come through. It's not going to be Hagar. It's not going to be Ishmael. It's going to be a son named Isaac through Sarah. Now, as you read this, it seems fairly obvious that this is the first time Abraham is considering that Sarah is going to have a kid. Because upon hearing this, he falls on his face in doubt, wonder, amazement, and cracks up. He just starts, starts laughing. Why? Because Abraham's having a hard time believing God at this one. We're, we're told in the book of Romans... Abraham doesn't become hard-hearted here. He's just struggling a little bit. You know why? Because living by faith is not easy. Living by faith is, is difficult. Have you ever struggled living by faith? Abraham hears what God has said and says to himself, my 90-year-old wife is not having a kid. In fact, I think Abraham even says, in fact, she doesn't even need to have a kid. I, I already have a kid. It's been 13 years since Ishmael has been born. Abram hasn't been sitting around for 13 years twiddling his thumbs waiting for God to give him a son. He has a son. Why does he need another one? So so when you hear Abraham's response in verse 17, can a child be born to a 100-year-old man? Can Sarah, a 90-year-old woman, give birth? What, What you are hearing is both amazement but also a little bit of deflation in his question. Lord, it would be so much easier for you, of course. If your plan would include my logic, if only Ishmael were acceptable to you. I mean, it seems logical. Abraham obviously loves his son Ishmael. You see that later on. But what you're seeing ooze out of Abraham again in this moment is living by faith is hard. Particularly, particularly when our logic doesn't align with God's logic. 
right? And thankfully, God knows that. He understands that. He allows us to ask questions. He doesn't crush us as soon as we ask a question. Calvin says this, God does not act so strictly with his children as to not suffer himself to be questioned. He allows us to bring those questions, those big questions to God and lay him at his feet. God is big enough to hear our greatest challenges to his will. But when you ask him a question... He's going to answer. And while his answer will always be for our best, his answer is not always the easiest to accept. Because living by faith is hard. We have three pound brains. He is the infinite, omniscient God who knows all and sees all from beginning to end, even before it has occurred. So when God answers our questions, he always does with our best in mind. And so when Abraham says, if only Ishmael could stand before you, God very specifically and succinctly in verse 19 says what? No. No is not our favorite answer. No is not what we see as the best answer to prayer. But because God loves us, He gives us a no, which is far better than the yes that we want sometimes. We know that with our own kids, don't we? You do. As a parent, even even us dads who are just trying to watch golf on Father's Day, know that when your kid walks up and says, can I just have one more snack? No is probably the right answer. Now, if you give it to them or not, that's up to you, your own conscience. I'll let you work that out with your wife. But we know in our heart that oftentimes the best answer for our children is just straight up no. And so we understand that when it comes to our kids. But we struggle with that truth as his kid. See, faith demands that we do not live by our own logic, by our own sight. Faith demands that we live like God is who he says he is. El Shaddai, the thunderer, the all-sufficient God. And many times we live like that is true through some very uncomfortable laughter. Now God does respond to Abram's big request for Ishmael and he, he offers a promise for Ishmael that is, is demonstrating the, the kindness of God. I'm going to be um, good to him. I'm going to make him fruitful. I'm going to give him 12 tribal leaders. I will make him a great nation. But again, he reminds Abraham this covenant isn't based on him. It's based on a child named Isaac who Sarah will bear. God is going to bring something out of nothing. God is going to bring something out of nothing. God is in the business of bringing something out of nothing. And it is our responsibility, our job, our delight to live like that's true. Now, in case you were wondering, I'm not going to skip the end of chapter 17 except I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to explain it to you again. Because Abraham leaves his conversation with God, heads home, and immediately on that day circumcises every male of his household. On that same day. 
Abraham comes back to the house. He's like, hey, listen, guys, the Lord's promised to make me a father of many nations. He's given me a sign that signs circumcision, so everybody's getting circumcised. Now, without being super crass, because I could, <laughs> I have no doubt there were some people in that household that were kind of upset at that. There you go. You're, you're with me. Good. Okay. But Abraham heard what God said. And he was more concerned about obeying God than he was about the grumbling happening in his household. And living by faith is not easy. And yet right there, Abraham demonstrates it well. Chapter 18. It continues, verse 1. You start reading there. The Lord appears to Abraham at the oaks of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance of his tent during the heat of the day. He looked up. He saw three men standing near him. And when he saw them, he ran from the entrance of his tent to meet them. He bowed to the ground and he said, oh, my Lord, if I have found favor with you, please do not go on past your servant. Let a little water be brought that you may wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. I'll bring a bit of bread so that you may strengthen yourselves. In fact, this is why you have passed by your servant. Let me try that again. This is why you have passed your servant's way. Later, you can continue on in your journey. And yes, they said, do as you have said. So Abraham hurried into the tent and he said to Sarah, quick, knead three measures of fine flour and make bread. Abraham ran to the herd, got a tender choice calf. He gave it to a young man who hurried to prepare it. Then Abraham took curds and, and milk as well as that calf that he had prepared and he set them before the man. He served them as they ate under the tree. This is a, it's a fascinating little vignette that happens here is Abraham is just chilling outside and he sees three people in the distance and and at this point you've got to remember I know you know the story already you've got to get out of the story and just enter into what's happening right here at this point Abraham doesn't know who these three are he just knows it's three guys passing by and so what you see exude from Abraham is this extreme perfect hospitality you, you see, exuding from him, he just runs with energy and says, hey, hey, come on, just, just take a load off. Let me get you all cleaned up. Breathe, relax. It's so wonderful here. My wife will make us some food, and, and we'll get the calf, and we'll smoke it, right? We'll smoke it. Okay, we'll smoke it, okay? And so we'll have a barbecue. We'll have a, a great time, and we'll, well, this, will be, this is the whole reason you came by me today is so that I can serve you. I can serve you. What hospitality, right? But then, verse 9. Where is your wife, Sarah, they asked him. Okay, those of you that are not familiar with the ancient Near Eastern custom of hospitality, what just happened is in verses 1 through 8, you had Abraham perform this extreme act of hospitality that, that is probably the most hospitable act that has ever been done in Scripture. This is probably the most hospitable act in Scripture. Way above and beyond. And then in verse 9, what you have happened, where is your wife, Sarah? That is the most impolite, inhospitable act that can be committed in the ancient Near East. You never asked about the wife, and you most certainly never mentioned the wife's name. So why is that a big deal? Because what it shows us is that these three aren't here for Abraham. They're here for Sarah. So the story continues. Where's your wife, Sarah, they asked him. There in the tent, he answered. Notice this very subtle shift. The Lord said, suddenly it's, it's not just three men. Now we know one of them is actually a, 
a theophany. It is God himself. And the Lord says to him, I will certainly come back to you in about a year's time, and your wife, Sarah, will have a son. Now, Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent behind him. Abraham and Sarah were old and getting on in years. Sarah had just passed the age of childbearing, so she laughed to herself. After I am worn out, my Lord is old, will I have delight? We didn't stop. So God makes a promise here. I'm going to return in a year. Sarah's going to have a, a son. And this is, and, and some of you know, this, this is one of my favorite passages in Scripture because there's so many just little things that just crack me up. I mean, you start, I think this may be the first case in known history of the husband coming home from the field or from work and not telling his wife what happened. Because she is utterly shocked that God said she would have a child. You look at the chapter before, God just said, hey, Abraham, your wife's going to have a kid. Abraham went home, completely slipped his mind. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I meant to tell you. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So you have that part happen. Then you see this, and this is, this is beautiful. This is, we talked about this in our series in Peter. You see Sarah's love, her honor, and her respect for her husband in this moment. Now, now please, don't, when she says, uh, I am, after I am worn out, and my Lord is old, she's not like, and my Lordship is old. It's not like that, okay? This is a term of endearment. This is a term of respect. This is a term of love, of honor. So in this moment, when she doesn't think anybody can hear her, she doesn't rip on her goofy husband. She is still filled with such love and respect for him. She speaks in that way. Lessons there for sure. She sees herself as being worn out beyond the point of ability and she laughs. And her laugh comes for the exact same reason Abraham laughed. She's having a baby? That's hilarious. Unless it happens today and your wife is 90 and God says, Your wife's having a baby. How hilarious do you think it is? (laughs) So maybe not so hilarious. Continues on verse 13. The Lord asked Abraham, why did Sarah laugh, saying, can I really have a baby when I'm old? Is anything impossible for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will come back to you. In about a year, she will have a son. Sarah denied it. I did not laugh, she said, because she was afraid. But he replied, no, you you did laugh. Now, more favorites here for sure. You see that Sarah's words came out After I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I have delight? But what God hears is the heart. And God says, why did Sarah say, can I really have a baby when I'm old? So so God knew that she was concerned about her age. And then the end of this, Sarah's going to have a baby. She giggles. God says, why did Sarah laugh? And Sarah says, I didn't laugh. And then God says, you did laugh. End scene. And I think it ends with Sarah standing there like, I mean, how do you respond to that? So it's just awesome. Okay, but, but, but actually, there's more serious things here. God's challenging her thinking. He says to her, really? Really, you think this is too hard? Is anything impossible for God? 
Is anything too difficult, too wonderful, too surpassing, too extraordinary? Is anything impossible for the Lord? What you need to remember, folks, is that God delights in doing what is difficult and hard and impossible. And here, God shows up at a dinner to encourage her, even strengthen her. Now, we have to be careful with this verse 14, is anything impossible for the Lord? We have to be careful. It's not a a promise, but it's a hope that's supposed to sustain us. So we need to be careful. When we face difficult circumstances, we, we can't claim this verse as confidence that God is going to change our circumstances. Yes, God is capable of changing any circumstance, but, but maybe the hard thing he's going to do, maybe the impossible thing that he's going to do is going, is, is going to be him helping us accept our circumstances as we grow through them. Maybe God's intention for you in this difficult season that you're in is to lead you to the edge of the Red Sea while the enemy's closing in and you have no options, no answers, no thoughts as to what to do next. And he says, not squashing your enemies. Instead, he says, step forward into the water. You walk through that sea. Maybe God's impossible thing for you is he's going to lead you through your difficulty instead of removing your difficulty. We have to be careful about dictating to God which hard thing we want him to do. He has a way of doing things that go far beyond what we're able to think, imagine, or even ask for. So Sarah and Abraham both laughed at the promise of God because he had chosen to do something impossible through them. And God knew that they would find it difficult, so he showed up. God knows that that we need to be absolutely 100% convinced of the power, the ability, and the sovereignty of God in order to live a life of faith. Because living, faith, living a life of faith is not easy. Living a life of faith is not easy. But God's desire is to strengthen us. You see that in the story. God, God reassures and seeks to, to strengthen Abraham's faith by re-giving the promise over and over and over again. Why? Because God is persistent in his desire for us to have assurance that God's going to keep his word. God wants us to know he can be trusted. God reassures and seeks to strengthen Sarah's faith by stopping over for dinner. God himself comes for a meal at Abraham's tent just for the very reason, just so that Sarah could be reassured of his promises. It is not easy to live by faith. God's desire is to strengthen us. That's why we have this story in Scripture at all. We're told in Romans that that, that Abraham hoped against hope. That that Abraham believed that God was capable of doing all that he had promised. You and I need to remember that that reality is in fact bigger than how we feel. Reality is bigger than how things look. Abraham, Abraham, looked at his age and Sarah's age and thought this could be hopeless, but instead he believed despite his weakness, despite his feelings, despite his perceptions, that God was trustworthy. Living a life of faith is difficult because living a life of faith calls on us to refuse to trust in ourselves. Living a life of faith means we must focus on facts about 
God. Abraham was fully convinced that God had power. You could almost imagine Abraham reasoning things out. Okay, now wait, if God's the creator, and he is, and he has all the power without limits, and, and God certainly knows we're old, but God spoke and stars showed up, so I don't think our age is going to be a problem. Is that how you live by faith? Do you take him at his word? Even when your feelings are saying something different? Let me encourage you with something. Romans 4 tells us that in the middle of all of this, it says this, Abraham's faith didn't waver. I would have a different interpretation. But God in his word says, Abraham, his faith didn't waver. It may have wobbled, but each wobble was a chance for Abraham to learn that he couldn't trust himself, but could only trust God. Cling to what God has said he will do. Celebrate the promises of God in your life. Understand that your hope is not wrapped up in you or living a perfect life of faith. Your hope is wrapped up in what God has already finished for you in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the story of Abraham and Sarah. Thank you for their imperfect faith at times. We're grateful that as we watch men and women of faith seek to honor you with their obedience that we can see so very clearly ourselves in those stories. Lord, I I do pray that you would help us understand that our hope is wrapped up in what has already been accomplished for us in your faithfulness to your covenant. Thank you, Father, that you can be trusted. God, as we reflect on who you are and what it is that you have done for us, I pray I pray that we just be a little bit more like Jesus today. Encourage hearts today. Encourage those who feel like they've failed. Father, I pray that they would simply um, just, just understand that you are walking with them, that you want to come alongside them and reassure them that you are who you say you are, the, the all-powerful one, the one who sustains us, uh, the one who will always provide for us. May we rest and trust in you just a little bit more today. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.